But we want to like try and refrain from too much editing. Like, <laughs> we just say not too much editing. <laughs> Takes a lot of time. See, I'm not sure if you went all the way back through the chat, but Tashoma laid out a couple of principles for how he's thinking about not editing these episodes, you know, <clears throat> to show the growth of us as a team and the way we think and, you know, get better at talking. Um, but also just, I mean, that's that's transparency, which is a necessary ingredient in decentralization, right? We hope to kind of model this by saying, look, here's an uncut conversation. Maybe there's a cringeworthy moment now and then, but that's kind of that's kind of the point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my uh, argument was, was that's what's missing in this space. I mean, it seems like everyone is an expert or a guru. Um, no one's like competent enough to just be a student. To be open about, hey, I'm still learning this just mm -hmm. like everyone mm -hmm. else. But I think I'm yeah. really... Is it me? I think your, your audio is not. It's breaking up a little bit. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode three of the Afro Thin Lab podcast. Um, Sydney, you just want to like quickly go over again of uh, what the Afro Thin Lab um, is about and what we stand for? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Afro FinLab is um, sort of a subsidiary of the uh, Sixth Region Alliance, which is a group that we uh, that we pulled together, um, basically to talk about uh, Cardano, uh, to talk about uh, uh, Africa, what's happening on the continent, also what's happening in the diaspora, uh, finance, and also uh, future tech. So yeah, we're here to talk about, you know, um, our uh, uh, preferred uh, blockchain is Cardano, and then, uh, you know, everything beyond that, so. Everything beyond that, wicked. So um, I think we should just quickly give ourselves a quick introduction um, for those who weren't around on episode one and two. Uh, my name is Tashoma Vellini. I'm uh, based in Montreal, I work in film. I've been uh, working with and investing in and dorking out of the blockchain and cryptocurrencies since probably around 2012, 2013. And I'm really excited today to be around a bunch of other people with um, a shared focus on um, uh, on on integrating Africa into the into the blockchain economy and seeing uh, the amount of progress that can be made when people take the the ethics of decentralization. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Beautiful. Come on, guys. Who's next, James? Uh, my name is James. I live on the East Coast of the United States. I'm an educator and a blockchain enthusiast, and I have. Uh, a lot of ideas for what decentralization and Cardano in particular might do for individual people and local communities. So really excited to talk about that with all of you. Hi guys. Hi guys. Uh, uh, Joshua, okay, you can go first. Uh, DC. One at a time. Let's have um, let's have uh, Dwayne go first. All right. Hi guys, uh, my name is DC, uh, Dwayne Cameron. Uh, I'm also on the East Coast. I work in consulting. Um, big Cardano fan since the jump pretty much. Um, I'm a part of the Fund One Project Catalyst Group. We're looking at funding different builders, entrepreneurs, devs um, to really bootstrap you know, that Cardano innovation. Got a lot of really cool ideas and, uh, and funding to back them. So I'm excited to see where this goes. Nice. Joshua? Hey guys, Joshua here. Uh, 
mean, Nigeria actually uh, been fascinated by Cardano since 2017, and I have been like active in Cardano community since 2018. So, I basically educate my community about Cardano, and uh, co-founded uh, Proof of Africa last year, alongside uh, Max. Max is also, um, and pretty much just you know, put out educational materials out there for you know, young Africans to actually educate themselves to uh, understand what you know the future of uh, blockchain is and also what Kodana can do for Africa so very excited to be here with everybody uh, everybody has experience and very smart so very very excited to be with you guys thank you Mercy. Okay. yeah so um my name is Mercy um I'm using uh, Adoman this time because um, that's what um, I was I was I was known as uh, when I was in Ghana. Um, now I live in Canada, um, West Coast, and um, well, not West Coast because uh, we're sort of landlocked here in Alberta, but um, the western side of Canada. And um, I just uh, love the possibilities that um, a blockchain brings, uh, especially. Uh, uh, Cardano and uh, what it can do for Africa, or especially West Africa. So that's what brings me here, and I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> Wicked. I'll go ahead and round it out. And uh, my name is Sydney Nicholas. Um, I am in the Midwest. Um, I found blockchain probably around 2013, 2014. Um, my background is as a uh, as an analyst. Um, and I recently changed uh, my career and now I'm doing more kind of financial planning, uh, planning stuff, but uh, really uh, excited about possibilities of uh, Cardano. I think it's a, an amazing project in the space. And then also very committed to uh, the continent of Africa as well as the diaspora uh, so that we um, just are able to take advantage of these technologies in order to continue to grow into the future. Right, wicked. And um, let's just clarify the goals for this podcast. Um, Keeping in mind that we all uh, met on the web forum uh, for the Cardano Summit. So uh, Joshua or Sydney, anyone want to like just quickly go over like what the goals are for this podcast? Why we call it African Love? Go ahead, Joshua, you can jump in. What the goals are for this podcast? Is that correct? Is that what you asked? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I think it's uh, basically to um, educate um, all uh, range of age of people from, you know, young to old, make them understand. Uh, okay. You know, but, let, but let's cut the crap. Like, who is our podcast for? Like, let's just be direct about that. <laughs> Africans. <laughs> to me, <laughs> Africans. <laughs> Africans. <laughs> the podcast is for Africans. <laughs> it's in the name. I'm from Finland. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, just, so you know. So we just want to make it clear. Um, so we all kind of like group together around the idea of um, you know spreading blockchain in Africa. Um, being as that's one of uh, Cardano's uh, main goals uh, for 2021 and beyond um, to expand in Africa, we wanted to create a podcast. Um, serving Africans directly um, as we kind of felt that like uh, black people, Afri Af of 
African descent were quite like underrepresented in the blockchain community space. So yeah, that's kind of why we got together. Wicked. All right, so um, today's episode, we're going to be discussing a few ideas, which a number of us have kind of put together as to like what kind of things we could build uh, on Cardano once we have smart contracts. So um, for listeners who aren't aware, smart contracts are a way for us to be able to um, send money automatically based on um, certain conditions. So if this, then send the money to party A or party B. Am I giving a good explanation for that, guys? What do you think? You know, I think I think that might be something that we maybe all kind of jump in on, and and because yeah. it's one of those things that is it's probably a little tough to understand right off the bat. So maybe a few different perspectives might be helpful. So let me have to pick someone. Come on, guys. <laughs> Come on, you're the man today. We're waiting for you to show me. <laughs> I think I think you know one way we could think of it is the same contract that you use today to settle a legal dispute, to buy a house, right? The, the smart contract concept is just to automate that by putting that same exact contract into code and into software that executes on chain, right? When those conditions that you met, right? If X money received by Y date, you know, housing deed or, or you know, deed to property goes to Y buyer, right? Like, that is the essence of a smart contract. So, so if I hear you correctly, DC, what you're saying is we're disrupting the entire law system by having contracts that do not need lawyers uh, to execute them. Contracts that don't need banks, that don't need insurance companies, that don't need you know data providers and and those you know third-party data marketplaces that kind of hoard over all of our data when we're on Facebook and and Twitter and Instagram. So, it's it's more than just you know, legal, like you talk about law and that's definitely a whole class that's about to be disrupted, but finance, identity systems, government services, right? Like all of these different aspects that rely on this idea of establishing trust to hold a contract in place. Smart contracts are here to disrupt that entire field. So it's like, you know, you try to put a, a number on like the market value of trust, but I think they do like global estimates on, you know, how many trillions of dollars worth the actual cost of trust each year costs global markets and it's massive. And to wow. me, in my opinion, like the input of smart contracts is to revolutionize all of that. And you kind of already see that starting in finance and insurance and, and, and law, like you said, Sydney, right? Like you mm -hmm. see open law, these type of DSLs that run on Ethereum today, their entire purpose is to, you know, automate the entire process of hiring a lawyer, mm -hmm. filing and, and resolving a dispute. Like these type of things can all be solved just through, you know, arbitrary smart contracts built in an open law DSL. But. And can you explain what a DS, DSL is? Sure, yeah, a, a DSL would be a domain specific language, right? So Cardano has one called Marlowe, right? And we all know we we're talking about financial contracts. So Marlowe's ability is anyone who is actually a finance expert, say a business student, an econ student, a finance, maybe even a dev or an entrepreneur who has an idea that relates to peer to peer or some sort of financial contract, if this happens, then Y gets money or Y gets product or service, right? These type of deals. Marlowe allows you to build that in a way that you don't actually need to code. You can just use something called Blockly to actually plug and play with these different, what I call money Legos, until you build up an entire financial contract. 
Um, the idea is you restrain things that the developer can do in some in a program like a DSL, but it actually emphasizes um, the ability for domain experts, right? In this case, finance experts to be able to build things quickly without needing a dev. Um, open law is the same concept for legal uh, contracts. So mm -hmm. that exists today on Ethereum, right? Wow. So, I mean, that was a great explanation, but I mean, what what's the real benefit here for um, just the everyday person, right? I mean, say I'm uh, a startup founder, why would I choose a smart contract over, you know, getting a lawyer I might be acquainted with? Or um, I'll, I'll jump in real quick because you have to trust those people, right? So we trust our lawyers, we trust our bankers, we trust our utility companies, we trust our internet service provider, we trust uh, when we're buying a home, we trust, we trust the, you know, realtor, the lender, um, and oftentimes these folks don't have our best interest in mind, which is fine because they should have their best interest in mind. So um, what this does is um, I think it, it creates a lot more efficiency in the system so that the agreements that we, we come to the table with are the agreements that end up being executed in a contract. And to DC's point, um, once these, um, once these, uh, con once these uh, illegal agreements are inside of a contract, uh, those contracts can be executed uh, automatically without the use of, of basically human intervention. So um, at some level, we're just moving to a place where we're, uh, we're going to be trusting the computers more because they tend to do things. Uh, um, <laughs> they tend to do things in a way that is consistent. Okay. So um, at this point, I reckon we should probably just like go over a few of the ideas which were mentioned because then you can get a better you know, picture as to just how much this might impact society. So uh, uh, one of them was uh, how, to, how, to, how to create a decentralized smart contract to exchange crypto for cash. Like, can, can someone explain how, how that would work? Yeah, I could, I could take a stab um, at it real quick. It kind of goes back to Shoma to your example. You said, you know, how do smart contracts impact the startup today, right? Like, and that's one of the things I think about, like how expensive is it to send payments across, you know, the, the border basically. Like for instance, I was studying in the UK and to get someone to send me a payment from America, like, you know, costed like somewhere between one to 2%, sometimes 3% if you wanted to go quickly of the entire worth of the transaction, right? This is like, that's, you're talking about eating into a real amount of the actual national dollar value of what's being sent at that point when you're paying that much in fees. When it's remittances like Western Union and these type of places that, you know, a lot of people actually depend on to send money, like, you know, to the Philippines and I have family in the Caribbean, it's, you know, closer to 10, 15%. Blockchain allows you to basically, with just an address, with just a public key and a wallet, right, that someone controls, usually on their cell phone allows you to send for pennies, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? We've seen all the time, like millions of dollars exchange on Bitcoin for like 50 cents, right? The idea is that by decoupling this idea of a fixed transaction costs with just the idea of the cost of sending that transaction across the network based on the current, uh, you know, pool of transactions, how underloaded the network currently is, Basically, there's a 10x decrease in transaction costs that you get when you use the blockchain, usually minimum. So you're talking about a whole order of magnitude 
of cost savings for that business that needs to, you know, hire a dev that might not live in that country or wants to, you know, send payments back to their family abroad. So just payments alone is massive in terms of blockchain so, smart contracts. So, so why haven't we seen this yet? I mean, everyone's been talking about the, the remittance, the efficiency with remittances for Bitcoin and stuff like that. And that's been like nine years. So how, right. how come we haven't seen that yet? I think there's two things and I want to, I want to let other people hop in here. So I'll be quick. I think the first one is cash in cash out. Right. And that's this idea that, yeah, you can send Bitcoin when it was cheap to send, you know, back in 2011, 2010, not now, and Ethereum, you know, back when it was cheap to send, you could send it for pennies cross back and forth, but to get into that local currency, right. To get into the South African Rand or to get into mobile money or and peso, if I wanted that instead, that's where the kind of pain point lies and, and and that's where we haven't innovated in the past you know however many years um so and i think you know that's that's a tough thing right there in itself because you have to really think through how are people actually getting into crypto what are the centralized exchanges the atms the in and out points that allow someone to go from you know m pesa into cardano into mm-hmm. ADA, right like mm-hmm. how easy is that process it's mm-hmm. not right now so so right. i think we have to think through that I, I got a. I, I want to ask Mercy a question. Mercy, have you have you sent money uh, from Canada to uh, to Ghana? I I do I do. You do. Uh, how, basis, yeah. how is that process for you now? And have you have you sent a crypto from uh, from from Canada to Ghana? Um, you know, I would I would love to because that would be um, um, that would be uh, cheaper because um, you know in the past uh, as um, uh, DC was saying um, it would be Western Union, right? And they would take, say, for a hundred um, Canadian dollars, they would take about eleven dollars, which is yeah, mm-hmm. that's about eleven percent, right? So, mm-hmm. if you are sending, of course, if you are sending very large sums, um, the percentage or the uh, um, yeah, however money they take, it does it does um, sort of go down proportionally, but um, it's still significant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not able to send crypto. Why? Because the person on the other side of, you know, on the receiving end needs to, you know, first of all, know about crypto. Mm-hmm. They need to have a wallet, you mm-hmm. know, like it, it really gets very complicated very easily. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, no, at this point, it's not, it's not um, something that uh, uh, it's, it's easy to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas with, um, sorry, whereas with Western Union or some of the um, um, solutions that are coming these days, it's just, um, you know, people have um, phones and you just, you know, they call it uh, mobile money. Okay. So you just send it and, uh, you know, like within minutes it's um, on their phone. But, you know, that also has significant costs. Yeah. I mean, the other day I used uh, Western Union to send money to Senegal. It was really simple really simple my phone I can just go directly from my bank account send it uh, to Senegal and I think I had to pay like a five dollar fee the amount that I was sending which is still a lot of money but in terms of convenience it was really easy mm. I'd love to see um, crypto get to that stage where it's like you know people don't even have to exchange out crypto it'd be great if we got to the stage where you know we could just send a stable coin to Nigeria and people could just use and transact transactions about mm-hmm. stable coin. Does, does anyone want to explain what a stable coin is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, we can take a stab, but before we do that, and James, I see you're about to, to drop something. I just want to say, you know, 
this concept of you know sending money into a smart contract that then converts it into a local currency that's something we actually already have right now in cardano right like ada pay is a solution that was built with i think cody is the is mm -hmm. the protocol that built ada pay and the cardano foundation paid for them to build out this entire you know payment network for cardano right like mm -hmm. what it takes to get a dev to integrate ada pay into mpeso or into mobile money so that i go you know i send to a specific address right that actually gets it converted through this ada pay smart contract into their local currency mm -hmm. or mpesa right like that is something that we need to be i think talking about now you know because we have the ability but james what were you going to say sorry to show any questions about that idea well yeah i, I just want to know how <laughs> like how much of a low-hanging fruit is this right i mean is it something is it is it like oh we just need a really simple smart contract that we could create you know over the next month and it would be a case of, you know, I'm ready to send some money and it's just going to be held in a smart contract and the person I'm sending it to is going to get the cash in hand within a couple of minutes. Is, is that possible? There's a few things you got to think through. And like Mercy kind of hit on one of them. It's this idea that people don't understand how wallets work right now. And they're, they're actually not that complicated of a concept. Like you really simplifies the whole you know, wallet concept by making it super easy to just download from the app store and not have to really worry about, you know, I mean, you control your private key, but you don't have to worry about like the, the whole full node setup like Daedalus, right? And, I think those types of ideas though are a little complicated because like even the idea of a private key and holding your private key, it's like, well, private key, what do you mean private key? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know it, it, it the rabbit hole is deep. My mom with a private key. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's I think to your point, DC, it's very simple, right? You can do three things with a wallet, right? You can send um, ADA, you can receive ADA, and you can hold ADA. I mean, those are the kind of the basic functions of any type of crypto wallet that you're going to have. And then outside of that, there's some other functions, um, but for the most part, those are um, those are uh, your main functions. Let's not forget the fourth, right? Soon you'll be able to basically use any DAP that's built through the Euroi interface. So that, that's a whole <laughs> new world that's coming, but we'll get there soon. <laughs> we'll get this, but, but Tashoma, Tashoma, I want to get back to your point because you were kind of getting on like the mechanics of this system, right? And, and to kind of hit on it, it would be a smart contract that sits on top of AdaPay that has some sort of either internal decentralized exchange that's working with um, basically stabilizing the price of M-Pesa or mobile money versus ADA, right? Like there would have to be some sort of internal kind of exchange mechanism that's allowing merchants who have a ton of M-Pesa or mobile money, usually the telecoms in Africa, right? To basically set up shop on top of ADA pay with these smart contracts. Mm -hmm. They'll receive ADA, at the, the smart contract will transact ADA for the M-Pesa or mobile money or South African Rand or any other currency, mm -hmm. right? And then the person, the output, right, who's, who's actually receiving the funds, they're just going to receive whatever local currency they want and select, right? It could even be up to them. Would it be in cash or would it have to be to their bank account? It would be digital. It would be to their wallet, right? So right. their M-Pesa, how do you, how do you hand, there's a wallet for M-Pesa on your phone, right? That right. you can trade it on. You can use it for microfinance, all these things. It would be the same kind of concept pretty mm -hmm. much. And um, would, you, would you need uh, permissions from M-Pesa to like, develop on top of it? See, that's the question. That's the interesting part. I don't know if M-Pesa has the APIs that would just allow for something like that 
to kind of naturally take place if a developer mm-hmm. wants to go build that tomorrow mm-hmm. they may right mobile money and mpesa may be mm-hmm. that open with in terms of developers building applications on top of their network uh-huh. i just don't know like it would take some time to research so i actually looked into that so i, I, I in in kenya when they were doing mpesa there was a small company around at the time that was integrating mpesa with cryptocurrency payments and they got shut down just because it was like a, it was it was like a legal gray area at the time, and they like MPesa just didn't want to have to deal with it. But things like that ring ring alarm bells, and like, oh, okay, there we go, another centralized institution trying to like rein and operate. Mm-hmm. Um, is like, I kind of see it like stable coins are the way around that. You know what I mean? Like, who needs MPesa when you have a stable coin already? If if there was a stable coin, which there will be on the Cardano network, because I know with the interoperability that they're talking about being able to um, connect with other networks, at some point it's going to be like, you know, if you have a DAI stable coin or something like that, there's going to be kind of a representation on the Cardano blockchain for that particular stable coin. You know, so I, I do see that as being something that's uh, probably not very far uh, away at all, but it still come kind of comes down to there. There has to be that way where you convert um, the uh, uh, the digital currency into the native currency because the 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 companies and you know organizations in those communities are only only going to accept uh, 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 you know a currency that they can then take and and use. So um, I, I do think that's a huge use case. We can get them on right. stable coins. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's or huge. ADA, right? I mean, so the, so stable coins yeah. are the bridge oh, oh, during this this time of uh, high variability, right? Like just just uh, any any cryptocurrency hasn't really stabilized in value yet, right? And so we're waiting for that to happen. Stable coins might provide a bridge there. But I have a question for you guys. I mean, can you all, do you all think in terms of ADA yet? Like, do you have a concept for that in your head? Like this is worth something? I'm gonna be honest, no. Like every time I look at my ADA account, I'm looking at it in terms of Mm -hmm. how many US dollars it has. Mm -hmm. Although ADA is not a currency though, right? It's a utility token. So, I mean, it has a value because um because we're we're basically um I, you know identifying the value of the, t- the utility of the token um but ada is not i mean you you're going to be able to pay with ada just like you can pay with ethereum now but ethereum again is not a uh, it's a utility token it's not a currency um per se you know what i mean so i i do think that um uh uh like like what you guys say i think at at some level because if you're a merchant because i mean you look at you look at systems today and um, like legacy systems hold on for a very long time, you know, they're not going to change, you know, really, really quick. So I think that that as we, as we, and, and um, I think it was, it was either um, Andreas Antonopoulos, I think it was Andreas Antonopoulos that talked about this, where you have, you have the, before you get mass adoption of something like a, 
cryptocurrency or, or the, this, this, these tokens, that there has to be this infrastructure that's created. And the analogy that he used was when cars were created, you know, there were no roads at that point. So you had cars trying to drive on the same roads that horses drive on and they're falling in a ditch and everybody's laugh, laughing at them like, look at this dumb stuff. You know, why you just get the horse, you know, but over time, um, the roads or the infrastructure was created that supported both the car and the horse. And you look at today, if you see somebody out on your street with a horse, you're probably like, okay, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think that it's going to be the same thing with um, how we transition into this digital, digital economy. There's going to be organizations like AdaPay um, and other organizations that are going to be going to build that, that highway in a sense. Um, and then at some point, um, uh, we're going to, you know, transition a little bit more over into digital currencies, and that, and, and at that point, we'll be able to, you know, go in the store and swipe our phone, and the, um, you know, the, the the transition, the transaction will happen right then and there, and it'll convert to whatever, you know, currency the the store owner won't, wants because the store owner has a a, a say so in that too, right? Because it depends on what they receive that determines the value that they're receiving at some level, right? So they, they have a choice in that too, like what I want to receive. Maybe, maybe I don't want Ethereum, maybe I want ADO, or I want some, you know, I want, you know, dollars or whatever it is. So I think as we, we start to, um, uh, you know, kind of get that infrastructure in place, um, I think that you're gonna be able to, you know, swipe your phone or send something and it'll automatically convert it into whatever the, the merchant wants. So there's this idea of being able to exchange value Right. But then also there's just the the idea of whether or not it has intrinsic worth. Right. Like we can mm -hmm. all think in terms of our local mm -hmm. currency and be like, oh, I, I can say to myself, oh, it'd be nice to have a hundred dollars in my pocket right now. Like mm -hmm. I, know, I know what that does for me. That's that's easy. And love them or hate them. There's a critical mass of people across the planet who agree that like gold and silver coins might be worth something right and mm -hmm. so they're able to tell the story of intrinsic value there does does ada have yeah. intrinsic value yeah. worth holding on to well yeah it does we just saw it today right everyone who's been staking ada just receive a cash flow right if you hold ada you hold the right to all future cash flows and transactions on the cardano protocol the whole point of having a token right is to align the incentives right that, so, so in my opinion, right, we kind of think, and Sydney, to your point, like, is it a currency yet? Because, you know, I go back to my, my, my time in England, right? I wasn't thinking in U.S. dollars then. I was thinking in British pounds, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, mm -hmm. when I went to Italy last summer, I was thinking in euros. And, you know, if I go to South Africa, I got to think in rand. So mm -hmm. it's not actually about, you know, the actual currency. Because if I'm in Japan, I'm not thinking about any of those things. I'm thinking about, you know, a totally different yen, a totally different currency, right? So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm people can learn to adopt a currency pretty quickly. And here's how mm -hmm. you set limits. Bitcoin is 21 million. There's a whole mm -hmm. religion around 21 million ever only being the, the Bitcoin supply in the future. Right. There's a whole like meme culture that's surrounded that for ADA it's 45 billion. Right. And you can do the math and you can look at the emission rate. You can look at the inflation rate. ADA is actually a pretty stable deflationary asset to hold mm -hmm. in terms of the schedule in the future of how it's going to be released mm -hmm. for inflation rewards. So these cash flows I just mentioned, right? We all get those because we're stakers in the, in the Cardano system, no mm -hmm. different than Bitcoin miners. Right. Mm -hmm. But the rate at which we get paid into the future, that's called the inflation schedule, right? ADA's is very deflationary, meaning that over time mm -hmm. holding that asset 
because the supply never changes, it's fixed, mm -hmm. should go up in value. Mm -hmm. So it's actually more like an asset and a currency bundled mm -hmm. in the same thing, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. then you look at the fact that you get cash flows on it, you can, you know, leverage ADA, you can use it as an underlying asset for a stable coin, right? We talked about this idea mm -hmm. in the future of using ADA as collateral for all of these mm -hmm. smart contracts mm -hmm. and stable coins that you can earn interest on that. Mm -hmm. These make ADA an investment too, right? Mm -hmm. So now it's just three vehicle and don't forget, you know, there's governance and utility built into that. So mm -hmm. ADA plays all these different roles that are, mm -hmm. you know, I guess way different than anything we've seen to date. Oh, absolutely. But I think to try to say, you know, it's just a currency or it's just an asset, it's it's kind of missing the kind of all encompassing purpose of the token um, in like a smart contract network like, like Cardano. Mm -hmm. So I think to that point, you, th you think about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is def is uh, deflationary, right? And that's why that's why Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network, the Bitcoin protocol network, people that hold Bitcoin, they're hodlers for life. I mean, because you don't want to get rid of a, a deflationary asset, because if you get rid of it in five years, it's going to be worth more than it was when you had it. You know, so I think like and back to the point of the stable coin, what a stable coin is, is is a token that's pegged to a currency. Right. So. Um, that's what makes a stable coin a stable coin is that it's pegged to a currency for the most part. And they're getting really creative about how, how they're pegging. Um, so they're not relying on, for instance, just the US dollar or, or mm -hmm. some currencies that we're familiar with. You know, there, there's a you know, basket of currencies that some of these stable coins are coming off with or even DAI, you know, which is, um, you know, algorithmic, algorithmically, you know, kind of programmed the way that it holds its value. Um, but I think at, at a, in, a, in a general sense, um, the reason that we, we've even been able to get any growth in, in my opinion, in crypto at all is because of this idea of stablecoin. Because prior to that, we didn't know what to do with our tokens. It's like, I don't want to, I can't, I can't pay, pay for, you know, anything with it. And there's not going to be any payment systems. And then like, if I, if I'm trading it, um, just by holding it in my account, I might lose money. So I can at least now you know, maybe get some gains, trade, and um, and uh, and and you know, my my uh, portfolio appreciates in value, and then I can take part of that portfolio and leave it on the the network, on the digital network, um, in a in a in a stable kind of um, uh, uh, account. So it, it's going to be interesting, and I think these are all of the questions that everybody in the community has, right? And they haven't been solved. And I think up until DeFi, we were stagnant because I don't even know what the killer app was before DeFi. I mean, we, we, we've been kind of just floating around and now well, DeFi the, has finally come along. Well, the killer app before DeFi was stable coins. It was like, well, that's true, very true. Yeah. It was stable coins. Everyone right. was like, how the hell could I just keep my portfolio stable, right. you know? And, you know, I was actually surprised that stable, like, stable coins haven't like caught on with retailers as of yet. I mean, I thought that was like the whole point. I thought when we saw stable coins, now retailers have no excuse to not accept crypto, right? Because it's exchangeable for dollars like, immediately. But for some reason, we still haven't seen like the, you know, the mainstream adoption that we all imagined to see like five years ago. And that mechanism, I'm sorry. To some, I was just going to say that mechanism is not there. How do they receive it? Because they can't receive it on their cash phone. Cash in, cash out is tough. That's, that's right. missing. And to Shoma, you know, to your point, you could argue stablecoins is the first form of DeFi. Like all DeFi is in its current instance is just wrapped stablecoins that are earning mm -hmm. interest. Right. right. And usually like tied right. to leverage 
products. Like that's all right. DeFi really is. Right. And kind of simplistic when you kind of think about what they've managed to do compared to like what we can do. Like Charles talks about like creating mm-hmm. an African stable coin that basically bunches different portfolio weights of each African currency into a stable coin mm-hmm. that could, you know, maybe even use some of gold as a part of its weight, maybe mm-hmm. some of the US dollars, some of the Swiss franc, some mm-hmm. of the South African rand, right? Like all of these different currencies can then actually make up this like African Union stable coin, right? And that could that could work on Cardano. Like there's no reason mm-hmm. why we couldn't power a solution like that. Like that's what I think about, you know, DeFi like going mainstream to be all right but yeah all right so but i'm talking about adoption right like if we look at something like m peso or um or even orange credits in, in in west africa right the reason why these tokens or credits gained adoption because that's what they are they're essentially just phone credits initially the reason they gained adoption and started to be used as currency was because they had a a a, a key um a key uh, application to them was, okay, I can use these credits to charge up my phone so I can call someone, you know what I mean? I can use these credits to pay for my bills. You understand what I mean? And the money you can like um, serve those interests, like those base interests that ma- the majority of people have, that's when it starts to have value. But right now, if you go to West Africa and you, you start talking about DAI, or you start talking about any of these other stable coins, people are like, will look at you like, what can I do with this? Mm-hmm. What's the point, right? Mm-hmm. right. And, you know, I, my, my fears come from the idea of like, okay, we are in this transition stage right now. There's a lot of institutions that are working on projects to bring crypto to Africa, right? But I mean, is that in the interest of Africans? Like if, say, a large company like Orange or Visa or PayPal decide to just integrate crypto and give everyone access to crypto. Like, yeah, maybe in the long run, it's going to have a positive effect because there's decentralization. But right now, I kind of see everything that's happening as like a, a wealth, a, a, a transfer of wealth, right? And I think it would be key for us to like, you know, work on some kind of project that would increase like real adoption of stable coins without any intermediaries in West Africa, right? And I was just thinking like, how would we do that? One of the ideas we came up with was um, how we could potentially set up a mesh network using Cardano. Did anyone mm-hmm. go into that? <laughs> What's a mesh network? Joshua, you want to jump on that one? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, from my, uh, I just kind of like, uh, Went through uh, uh what's what's it called right mesh to uh, you know basically look at what they're mm-hmm. doing. I think from from what I got like mesh networks are like you know uh, network connection like what is like spread on thousands and hundreds of nodes you know that talk to each other to share network connection mm-hmm. across uh you know maybe smaller large areas. So uh so basically I think that would be uh you know the, the concept alone of mesh network is just like kind of uh, should I say uh, revolutionary because you know in Nigeria like we have <laughs> I mean Sydney you know like we have like issues with like internet connection and also <laughs> internet is very very expensive but it's still not you know uh, really good um, but you know with uh, things like mesh networks and allowing people to uh, you know have you know their smartphones with you know Wi-Fi or just to transmit and send uh, you know uh, messages 
And then you can incentivize that with uh, some kind of native token there just mm -hmm. to make sure people use it. That is like, if, if that can be built on top of like Cardano, that will you know, create some kind of adoption and oh. to allow people to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think that that's what you're going to build. So we'll just wait until, until you get it built. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's I'll, no doubt. <laughs> I would love to have my guys, you know, play around with that and see if we can come up with something. Once yeah. Start. Mm -hmm. so the and, idea and is just, actually you know, um, to, I mean, we, you know, when you, when you talk about adoption, like, uh, we, we tell like a Nigerian that, okay, buy ADA, I mean, they need to know why they should buy ADA. Mm -hmm. Like it needs to be like solving some mm -hmm. kind of thing for them. Mm -hmm. So we have to think in terms of like, um, you know, you know, deal in terms of, you know, solving particular issues and allowing like in Nigeria, we have like light problems. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. We have mm -hmm. different kind of issues. We have internet issues. If we mm -hmm. can say, okay, let's address this and find a way to like mm -hmm. solve this problem with mm -hmm. Cardano. And then everybody is just going to say, oh, this happened because of Cardano. So what is this Cardano? And they'll right. buy Cardano because Cardano has solved this problem. Mm -hmm. So we can start solving like, you know, problems one by one. And then you, that will create a kind of ripple effect and allow everybody to know how this problem is solved, why it is solved, and then they can embrace mm -hmm. it. So for like Bitcoin, most of the people, most of the young people that actually bought, it, bought Bitcoin, they just formed into Bitcoin, to be honest mm -hmm. with you, because... I bought Bitcoin and I got some kind of uh, value or you know, I got increase in my, uh, mm -hmm. so everybody, I told my friend, hey, I bought this Bitcoin. If you had, you know, 10,000 there and you bought Bitcoin mm -hmm. in like two months, must have gone to 12,000 there. And like, oh, really? So now mm -hmm. they want to buy Bitcoin because of mm -hmm. the incentive, right? So mm -hmm. with Cardano, we can say, hey, you're using Cardano, we, you know, just tokenize, uh, let's say real estate, which would be actually a really big thing in Africa. You can tokenize real estate. And if mm -hmm. people buy this stuff, you're actually lowering the barrier for them to enter into crypto because you're actually giving them value that they need because uh, real estate is actually big in Africa, but mm -hmm. not everybody can enter into that kind of market. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so wow. things like that, building solution to onboard people, you know, by lowering the entry point for them. So that, I, that I, is... I, yeah. I was just going to say, I think those are two use cases. I mean, those are like two huge use cases. Number one, internet, because I, and I'm not sure what your experience was, Mercy, in Ghana, um, but I do know that, um, you know, the time that I've had to spend with Joshua and then my friends that are in South Africa, the internet is, is crappy. And then Joshua was telling me how much he was, he pays more for his internet than I pay for mine, you know, and, and it's, it's not good internet. And I, I personally believe that's by design because the, the specific question that I asked my friends in South Africa is that, okay, fair enough. Your internet keeps, cut, keeps cutting out. Um, but the corporations and the government, um, does their internet cut out as well? Or is it just like, you know, in, in, in the community that you're in. And they were like, no, I mean, the governments and, and the corporations, the internet works fine, which means that they have the pipe. You know what I mean? It's coming onto the continent and they're cutting the pipe, um, you know, at the ISP, at the ISP, at the ISP. And my personal belief is, it's just me, you know what I mean? Is that that's intentional because if they can do that, then they, they can prevent you from, you know, uh, having, easy unfettered access to data and to information. I have, a, I have my, my friends, actually their daughter attends uh, Carnegie Mulligan um, here in the States. And um, she actually tells her parents when she goes back after being in South Africa for two, 
for, for two weeks that I'm sorry, mom and dad, I can't stay here anymore. The internet, I, I can't get the data. The internet connection is not, is not good enough. So she's actually literally leaving, you know, to come back to the States simply because she can't get the data, although the pipes are there. So like the, the mesh network, um, it, it, it creates a localized network. So um, you have the whole global internet, um, you can actually cut. So once a, a mesh network has been set up and there's data flowing through the network, you can actually cut the pipe from the, um, from the main internet and folks that data that exists will still flow through that mesh networks. And then I know yeah. there's, there's two specifically that I sent, you know, there, there are the, the, the dishes which, um, which you can you know, create a mesh network to send data back and forth. Um, and then there's also um, the um, uh, right mesh, I think it was that I sent you, where um, they've identified a way to um, push that data through cell phones. So let's say that um, I wanna send a message to, uh, to Mercy. It doesn't have to go through the internet in order for me to get that message to her. So when I send the message, it'll hit DC's phone, you know, then it hit Tashoma's phone, then it hit James' phone, you know, then, then, it, then it'll hit Joshua's phone. I don't want people reading my messages. Uh, well, well, that wasn't your message. It was actually mine. But, <laughs> but, but the way that <laughs> I get what you're saying, because there's, there's this sense of, you know, being exposed. But yeah, uh, it's just using the technology in your phone. And it uses a uh, Bluetooth and, um, and, and some other technologies in your cell phone in order to push that information to a local network. So that's just a way of, um, you know, I mean, I oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. I mean, it does even more because, you know, like the government don't control that, right? Right. In Ethiopia, like just recently, you can Google it. The government shut down the internet. Can you imagine that? Yeah. I could have, I was trying to get to uh, <laughs> John O'Parner, like the guy in Africa. And, yeah. uh, you know, I was lucky because he had internet, he had internet because he was in a government building. Mm. So government had internet, but the citizens right. didn't have internet. So they cannot cut out the internet and it's done in a decentralized way. So nobody exactly. can control. Exactly. It's like every time you try to make your life better in Africa, sadly, most times it's always, you know, comes up as you've been, you know, it has to be rebellious in a way. You have to go <laughs> against the government to make your life better, which mm -hmm. is the whole nature of like, you know, cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. It's not dependent on them. It's not dependent on the power above. It's just, you know, the people is from ground up, right? The people are solving their problem by themselves. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's the only way it can, it, can, it can work. So the mesh network actually is actually needed because it will eliminate all this big corporation, these service providers that actually just steal money and don't mm -hmm. really give service, right? And I'm, I'm just happy like my network hasn't even <laughs> cut out yet, but usually <laughs> it doesn't stay up this long. But I paid for it. See, it's pay yeah. as you go, but you're paying for what? you know, you're not enjoying, it's not really doing its job. It's like us paying for power here, but we mm -hmm. get power cuts, right? Mm -hmm. So what's the point of paying? It's just stupid. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, actually when it comes to, um, you know, blockchain and the fact that it's decentralized, um, it's almost as if it was created for Africa, right? Because, um, you know, there's just so much control, you know, in terms of what Josh was talking about, um, um, you know, the government, um, you know, for some reason, it's easy for governments to um, sort of, uh, you know, take over certain things. But when it comes to uh, blockchain, it's decentralized and, um, you know, and sometimes some of these uh, mesh uh, networks, 
then the power actually decentralizes down to the people, right? So it's um, just just a rich person, you know, power down to the people and um, and you know to the to the to the outskirts, you know, so to speak. And once you know, big corporations and even governments see that, okay, you know, now it looks like the money and the and the power and the um, um, you know the the businesses is sort of getting de decentralized. And even big corporations, you know, some of these big uh, phone companies, then they, they sort of, you know, now they could tour and then they sort of um, try to be to become uh, more competitive. So, um, you know, when it comes to um, a, a blockchain and its decentralization, I think Africa and, you know, when we, we do say Africa quite a bit on this, um, uh, uh, you know, on this network, but, you know, we use Africa as um, as you know, more or less a pilot because you know if it works for Africa, it will work for uh, uh, most uh, uh, developing countries. So yeah, no, it, it looks like um, uh, uh, this is a good solution to some of the, um, um, you know, I don't want to say corruption, but some of the challenges that mm -hmm. uh, uh, tend to occur in uh, developing countries. All right, guys. <clears throat> so it seems like we got around ten minutes left. We did want to keep these episodes short, forty-five minutes. So like, let's just do a quick run through all of these revolutionary ideas that we came up with for applications of Cardano. And then hopefully we can just like come to some decision as to which one we want to try and work on, which one is the lowest hanging fruit that we can work on together over the next uh, month or two months, three months. So just hey, before we jump into the list, can I just, yeah. I mean, this is, this is why this whole podcast exists, right? Like none of us are experts on how to build on Cardano yet, right? We're, we're all learning. This is, and we kind of want to <clears throat> model what that journey is, right? So, so a lot of us on this call have, have ideas for what we're going to implement right um and and some of us are building teams in in our locations and are participating in project catalyst um so as we go into this list of what exactly we might build coming attractions for next episode is like each of us can share kind of our angle on how we're getting in and how we see this podcast as that opportunity to like learn alongside this is decentralization at work none of us are our perfect Marlowe experts yet, but uh, we'd like to be. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So um, this is an opportunity for anyone listening at home, um, you know, anyone who's confused by all the lingo that we're, talk we're talking about, whether it be stable coins or ISPs or whatever you want to call it, this is a way that you can kind of get stuck in from the beginning and grow with us. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great opportunity. So like, here's a few of the ideas. How to set up a staking pool to replace your local bank. All right, how to create a decentralized smart contract to exchange crypto for cash. Um, how to create a stable coin for local businesses to be able to sell online without payment processes. Um, how to create a decentralized SUSU or ROSCA to replace your credit union. Um, should I explain some of these as I'm going along? Actually, I'll just, I'll just finish the list. How to set up a mesh network to expand internet in your community. How to set up a crowdfund for your next great business idea or community project. How to expand and fund your skill craft using crypto. How to authenticate your products so that they sell for more online. 
how to build a decentralized marketplace to replace eBay, and how to create a sharing economy in your community to earn money from unused equipment, tools, land, or energy. And lastly, how to set up a secure and decentralized voting ballot for local governance. So a lot of, a lot of powerful ideas. <laughs> Which one should we go for? Wait, so I can do all those things starting today? <laughs> all right. <laughs> Easy peasy. Catch me up on that. So what, what's the status of Cardano? Are we ready right now to do all these things or are we waiting for a few things to roll out? Yeah, I think we're waiting a couple months. You know, Gogan isn't here yet. We still need to wait on smart contracts. But I think that anyone who wants to get their hands, you know, really in the weeds right now, the playgrounds are pretty stable. Like if you just Google Plutus Playground, Marlowe Playground, like you'll be able to get, you know, a 99% complete smart contract environment, dev environment, right? That you can start building on and saving that code to GitHub. And like, you know, I want to make this pretty like clear, like especially as someone in Project Catalyst, like the developers on Cardano are going to make money and get paid either through community funding or the fees that the applications and products they build just cost built into the actual smart contracts. So like there's, a, there's you know, opportunity here for, for upcoming devs. You know, I build a product that allows anyone in Africa, like Josh said, you know, real estate is booming and, and big. If I can build a product that ties into Prism that allows anyone to attest to a land deed, you know, um, basically just allow your local government to at the predefined start of that, um, like land deed or contract or sale of the house, basically attest to who the owner is and who's now owns the land deed. And then from that point on, that land deed owner has basically a tokenized version of that deed. Like if I'm an African dev and I build that product and I sell that, right? And I just make 1%, half a percent transaction mm -hmm. fee each time someone uses that smart contract. Mm -hmm. Like that's huge, that's massive. You're talking about millions probably of ADA in the future of money that will be made just through these products that get built. So mm -hmm. in Marlowe lies a huge opportunity for any African finance, business, econ student or dev who really wants to build financial products that they can sell today. Um, and I don't think that we should think that, you know, you need to wait on Gogan mainnet or launch, you know, Gogan's going to be here in two, three months. Like that's, that's mm -hmm. really right around the corner. Like, it needs to get know, <laughs> yeah, it's like here right, right like, now, you know? Right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and, you know, I just wanted to throw, I'm sorry. I just uh -huh. wanted to throw this out there as well. Yeah. So, and you know, um, uh, um, Joshua said this as well, you know, so it's, or I'm sorry, Mercy said this, um, like we're using in a sense, you know, what we want to do in Africa is a pilot, but we talk about Africa and we talk about the diaspora because I know in the United States where I'm from, because I'm from Detroit metro area and there are a lot of challenges, you know, and there have been a lot of challenges for a very, very, very long time. And um, the people that I know that I grew up with do not have access to this technology, you know, so it's, it's also important that, um, that we start to empower uh, people in uh, in places and in neighborhoods that um, that are just as brilliant as anybody else. You know what I mean? To be able to um, you know uh, start using this technology simply for being able to participate in the future. It's it's not fair that they cannot participate in the future like everyone else. And then when they don't participate in the future, there people say that well they they don't they're they're you know they don't work hard enough or they need to go to school or whatever whatever all of the crap that they say about 
you know, folks that are growing up in neighborhoods that um, that don't have the same resources as people that are growing up in in, in other neighborhoods. So, um, just just kind of throwing that out there because Africa and the diaspora is is massive, you know, and and we all have this um, knowledge sharing kind of um, uh, potential. And um, yeah, it's 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 very inclusive, you know what I mean. And we're just trying to we're just we're just trying to figure out stuff, you know. I think all of us are tired of being taken advantage of by people who have more than us and stacking the cards in their favor. So we just you know believe that um, uh, you know everybody should have a chance to kind of you know uh, have the basics handled and be able to you know think in a way that they can uh, be creative and reach towards their dreams as well. You can do that with Marlo, just to clarify. You can do that with Marlo. <laughs> you, you that with Marlo. We'll say yes. <laughs> playgrounds are gorgeous. Like, I mean, they are, this is top tier user experience that anybody can jump into today and start wow. to play around with. And you won't understand everything the very first time. I know I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, but mm -hmm. this is, you can start on that journey right now so that as these things are rolled out, for real world use, you can be ready for that. I, I know I have some friends who got got hit pretty hard by the pandemic. They don't have their jobs right now, and and I'm telling them, hey, like this is here's a chance. Here's here's a book about Haskell. Mm -hmm. Jump in, read the Plutus book, start playing. Like this is a chance to to do something and be part of something that's really big. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Just to throw this out, sorry, uh, DC. Um, who do you think can actually you know, creating this center, working in the center, but, you know, just to throw this out to anybody that's watching, who do you need, like, prior IT experience to actually, so who do you think, how simple is it? Yeah, Josh, that's a good question. Like, to James's point right here, like, I've always thought of Marlowe as, like, the system that anyone, whether you even understand finance or not right now, anyone can pick up build um you know a suite of payment contracts we've been talking about payments a lot today mm -hmm. that allow you to just streamline the process of paying different parties um, maybe even set up a smart contract like what boone has done for a developer marketplace that allows you know a specific product or service to be paid for after x amount of time like you don't even have to know how to code have it experience or even in this case have the previous finance experience to get where you need to be in terms of creating a job for yourself as a marlo dev I truly think that we're so early in this process that like even me myself, like I'm in the same boat as James. Like, I'm going through the tutorial, you know, Marlo.tutorial, Marlo Playground. I'm going through, I'm looking at the examples, you know, I'm learning these things. I have the prior finance, so I understand how some of these contracts work, but I'm just at the same level as everyone else in terms of learning how these different contracts get put together. But don't, don't make, you know, make no mistake. In the future, there will be a job called Marlo Dev, just like there's Solidity Devs on Ethereum. Yeah that get paid a lot of money, right? To build these mm -hmm. contracts because they build fees into them that people actually use every day, whether it's buying and selling a house or buying tokenized stock, right? Like you do things like attach bounties to things that really incentivize devs to build cool things. They will learn the, the language and build them because they'll know that they have a job at the end of the day attached mm -hmm. to their ability to build on that platform. So I, I think that Marlo is no different, you know, in some cases even easier because you're not actually coding with Blockly you're just using, um, like I said, these different money Legos. Um, but yeah. Awesome. All right, so I think we've got a message across. Uh, basically, start learning Marlowe today. Um, 
Sure. I think I think we should like post some links, you know, referencing all the things like TC just said, yeah, so totally. people can just jump on it. Easy. We should definitely. But I mean, I mean, is it too early for us to choose a project to work on now, or should we leave up for the next episode? I mean, I'm quite keen on the the whole idea of um just making it easier for people to exchange crypto for, for cash. I think that's like the first thing. Or maybe mesh networks is, is the first thing, providing the utility you know, that they can use crypto for immediately. Mm -hmm. That's going to provide real value. Mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. well, I'm if we could think about, I like those ideas to show them up, but I'm keen on seeing if we can think about some of real estate, like what Josh said, like if we can think about the ability to trade a land deed and have like in Marlowe, you can have someone call it observer or like a different party. Who's like the, basically like in the escrow contract in Marlowe, there's a third party who like attests to the observations or the choices that everyone made, whether you paid or not, basically. What if that was like the local government? So at the start of the contract, the local government said, you know, X party has the land deed, then a sale of the home takes place, the land deed gets transferred and it's all recorded on the blockchain. Like, I'm just like, you know, brainstorming, but if something like that could be a potential, I think that would be really cool. Yo, maybe this is something we should leave for our audience to decide. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, that mesh network idea, I say we build towards the mesh network, but we need a few building blocks on our way there, you know, yeah. to, to arrive at that point. Mm. Also talked about it too, you know, the mesh network idea. He, he's, he's talked about like in the second funding, I guess, that IOHK is going to ask for the community from, you know, 2021 for the next four years, like to think about something like a mesh network or like a satellite network that runs, you know, the Cardano protocol. Mm -hmm. Like, how can we combine that with something like what SpaceX is working on, right? With these like mini mesh networks, like mm -hmm. the possibilities, mm -hmm. I'm sure, are mm -hmm. endless. We just mm -hmm. have to think really deep about them. And I can see like mesh network like completely like eliminating these service providers we have yet. Yeah. So, so people catch on to it. And I know we're getting ready to jump off, but it's there already. So the the link that I put in the Slack channel, though, though, so so those are dishes that have a ten mile. Uh, radius that were created by the folks that created the first Wi-Fi um, uh, adapters. So these are these are folks that that you know that's what they do. That's what they love to do, and they've created the most advanced uh, satellite dishes that exist. They're they're open source. So all you need is Linux, and you can you can basically program these dishes. So that exists today, and and it's it's two hundred dollars. So literally four hundred dollars, you can put up two of these dishes today. And you would have uh, um, an internet, a network with a 10 mile radius, you know, so as far as like, you know, being able to, you know, figure out how to um, charge for it, creating a mar marketplace for the data that was flowing through that that's probably a little bit different, but um, that that exists today. I, I mean, my friend has he has it in his house, you know what I mean? It's like, he, he's got this network set up, you know, in, in, in his home, and he uses all of these uh, devices. So, you know, yeah, just throwing that out there that like, that's that exists like yes you can i can yeah you can buy it off the internet right now you know what i mean 200 bucks each each dish 200 bucks yeah <laughs> i mean that doesn't really encourage people here to buy <laughs> yeah why not i mean i think it's a great idea because um at the end of the day all of this stuff is really cool the bottleneck 
for data and information is happening at the internet level. And based on my experience with, with you and what you're telling me, Joshua, that you're paying for your internet service, based on the experience that um, I had with my friends in South Africa, um, that is that that's the thing, you know, that that's the thing that's, that's, that's keeping, you know, one group here and one group here. And if you can eliminate that, if you can, if you can increase the, um, uh, uh, the, the throughput, you know, the, the information sharing at the local level, that's going to accelerate everything that's going on that way. Yeah. You're not waiting for internet connection. So, um, I mean, there, there's a, there's a bunch of like, projects that are out there that I think kind of facilitate uh, uh, ways of um, improving the local community. But when I was thinking about it, I'm like, um, they don't have internet, you know, they don't, I mean, we have internet, you know, they don't have internet. So, you know, since we're moving into the digital, digital world, it seems like one of the first places that you would want to start is kind of decentralizing internet, democratizing internet so that everybody has access to internet and the ideas that flow you know, after that point are going to be, you know, very expansive. So Josh has a catalyst proposal. DC's got a catalyst, got a handful of catalyst proposals. I've got one. Can we tune in next week to talk about how each of our proposals is hoping to kind of move towards that goal? I, I want to talk about it now, but we're out of time. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so yeah, in my mind, these episodes could go for four hours, but nobody watched that. Easy, <laughs> right. <laughs> But yeah, let's uh, save up for next episodes, guys. Uh, next right. episodes, guys. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming together again. Um, Afro Fit Lab, episode three. Epic 213. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, nice one, guys. Have a great nice. All right, guys. So so Tashoma, you just wrapped up, but we don't have to jump off. It's still recording. And yeah. you, I mean, yeah, you know what I mean? So you okay. just kind of cut the podcast. We can talk as long as we want to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so, cut. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>